This is Black and Gold Rush, the podcast where we talk about all angles of New Orleans Saints football. I'm your host, Rachel Jones, and I've been a Saints fan all my life, so I know just how much this team means to our city, both as a former reporter and from my season ticket in Section 257. Whether it's breaking down game tape or telling an inspiring off-the-field story, I'm here for it because the Saints bring us together. Let's get going. What's going on, Houdad Nation? Welcome to a special Saints Draft Day edition of Black and Gold Rush. No matter when you're listening to this episode, maybe it's right before the NFL Draft starts or even after round one's over, be prepared to get tremendous value from my conversation with Maddie Hudak, a true rising star in sports media. Maddie's work has been featured in SB Nation, Bleacher Report, Yahoo Sports, and most recently USA Today as a contributing writer for The Saints Wire. She's a graduate of Tulane and Northeastern University, and we had a great time connecting, both as women who are passionate about sports and women in the Houdat Nation. I mean, you gotta hand it to Maddie. Her last name even sounds like she's a Saints fan. So the mock drafts are complete, and now we're gonna see how things go for the Saints. Which direction are they gonna take with that 28th overall pick? Do they get aggressive and trade up, or do they stay put? They have eight picks total to work with in this draft, so we know one thing for sure. It's going to be an exciting, action-packed three days, and I am ready for it. Are you? So before we get started, one quick programming note. No new episode this Monday. Part of the reason why I wanted to double up for you this week. But I'll be back with episode 20 by Monday, May 10th. So be sure and hit that subscribe button so you don't miss a single second. And now, enjoy the 2021 Draft Special, featuring the one and only Maddie Hudak. Well, Maddie Hudak, welcome to the pod and happy Draft Week. Happy Draft Week. It's it's a week, that's for sure. (laughs) Absolutely. Well, yeah, just to take our listeners behind the scenes a little bit, this is actually our second time recording. We had a little uh, technical issue first time around. So we are just loving the Houdat draft spirit so much. We thought we would (laughs) relive it one more time. So obviously we are going to dig into your mock drafts mm-hmm. that you have been immersed in, predict where the Saints are going to go at pick 28. Is it cornerback? Is it linebacker? Somewhere completely different. Mm-hmm. We're going to dig into all the buzz. But first, Maddie, I'd love for you to give a glimpse of what first sparked your interest in Saints football. Sure. And I, I didn't mention this the first time. And I just to point it out, uh, my last name being Kudak kind of gave me an immediate uh, Kudak connection there. Uh, so that was definitely always like an, an homage back there. But uh, oh, I'm, I'm originally from the Bay Area. I was born in San Mateo, which actually uh, so were Tom Brady and Sean Payton. So mm-hmm. very random group of people. Uh, never was a 49ers fan. My dad is from Cleveland. My mom is from New Orleans and her side of the family. She was born and raised there. Uh, and my dad didn't fight her that much for, uh, you know, the the rights to my team fandom. Okay. Uh, so I quickly became a, a Saints fan. And then that really strengthened 
uh, after Katrina, when I came down with my mom in December of 2005, uh, we did some volunteering at, at a dog shelter, which I, I really enjoyed um, and, and handing out school supplies and just really getting, you know, I was at sixth grade, so I didn't really understand the magnitude of what was going on, but I could read the reactions of my mom and, and know how devastating that was. And so then to kind of watch her journey through seeing, you know, the Saints kind of resurge and that blocked punt from Steve Gleason and then their run to the Super Bowl. I'll never forget when uh, that Miami game that year where they had that insane comeback, it kind of mm-hmm. just popped on our TV at one point and heard my mom scream in the other room and we're like, oh my God, the Saints are actually coming back. They're still going with this undefeated season. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that that really got me into the Saints. Uh, and then on the, you know, just getting into football in general, uh, being an only child, I, I found that my dad, uh, I, I played soccer growing up. And so he was my soccer coach. And he really got into coaching, even though he wasn't ever a soccer player. He read a lot of books. He's a very, you know, like research fundamentals guy. So he's always interested in the mental side of things. And so he really likes, you know, the, the football IQ side of football, you know, that that uh, ability to read snaps and, and, and diagnose defenses and things like that. And we're both very analytical in that way. So I kind of found that was like always a good thing to discuss with my dad, you know, being that, you know, there were no sons in the family to kind of give him that outlet to talk, you know, football and stuff like that. <laughs> right. That, that That's such a great point that, uh, right. I was one of two sisters and my sister mm-hmm. did not care one bit about football. And my dad was thrilled that he had one daughter who he could <laughs> talk saints with. And I grew up going to the Superdome and, you know, jealous my, of that. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Growing up on the, on the West coast, that wasn't quite something you had, but you (laughs) have, you know, come here to New Orleans now and the black and gold runs through your blood. And uh, so it's in the name. (laughs) Yes. Yes. It's in the name, as you said, right. It just who dat, who It's almost indistinguishable. (laughs) That's so crazy. I get a lot of looks. They're like, like like the hoodat. Right, right. That's that's perfect. So sports have always been a part of yep. your life. You know, from your soccer days mm-hmm. to now writing about sports for the USA Today's Saints Wire. Uh, you started there in March. So tell us a little bit about this latest chapter in your sports writing career, because I see you have quite an impressive background, including a master's in legal studies. Yeah. So if nothing else, I, I would like to kind of serve as a tale of A, it's never too late to change your mind on what you want to do. And B, if you think you have an idea of what the five years out of your college experience are going to look like, please don't have that set in stone because mm-hmm. the chances are it's not going to work out that way. I pursued, this is my fourth career path. I have two degrees. I originally went into psychology then I segued into the law uh, and then kind of surreptitiously during the pandemic last year, I, I got laid off from my legal job and I had been writing at the time uh, for Canal Street Chronicles with SB Nation. And, and so I kind of just used that as an opportunity to really lean into focusing on, on sports and, and A, it, it kind of just being this universal escape for everyone last year when a lot of sports were canceled at the beginning of 2020 and, and football was really the first sport that came back in full. And it, so to not only have that chance personally, to be able to divert my attention. But if I could kind of provide that escapism for other people and, you know, the reason that I, I, I say that, you know, no matter, matter what your background is, it can add value. 
is, you know, I've taken the research abilities from, you know, my psychology background, and that kind of allows me to go into these, you know, more deep dives and the analytical side and being able to kind of, you know, form my points in a thoughtful and, you know, not argumentative, but a persuasive point of view. I get a lot of that from, you know, my legal background. So kind of finding how your skill sets can, can move to different things. I just, you know, happen to find that they're really good analyzing uh, sports. So mm-hmm. I was in Philadelphia. A uh, good thing the location didn't really matter last year, but True. I personally wasn't really trying to cover the Eagles uh, now or ever. And so I did. Yeah, I moved down to New Orleans about a month ago to, you know, get down here, especially before, you know, this exciting training camp and, and off season and everything coming up. Right, right. You mentioned the fact that everybody's story plays such a big part in their journey. And I lean on my story so much in starting this podcast and my layoff from my last journalism job has, uh, it was devastating at the time, but it's part of who I am. And the fact that you have a law degree is part of your story and you bring Mm -hmm. that analytical side into your sports writing career and it's so valuable. So you talk about that. We don't really know what direction our life's going to go. And that's just incredible, incredible advice that can just serve us so well. Mm -hmm. Uh, So we're going to get into what your final mock draft was like. Um, Y'all did one actually as a staff. Um, Mm -hmm. So uh, I'm dying to give our listeners a sense of y'all set up kind of like a war room, really, (laughs) where you did some trades to really (laughs) hone in on the what no one can really argue with are the Saints' two biggest needs. (laughs) And you really went out and got two star players. Yeah, so... We were originally going to do it via Zoom uh, and then just kind of, you know, we people were outside. We were like, Let, let's just do it over text. And I actually found that that it gave us a lot more of the ability to kind of sit back, think about it. And uh, so it was Kate Kistner, John Sigler and myself who did that together. And and uh, John Sigler said that it came out to be like 6,000 words at the end. But it really was kind of like if you said a war room of, of going back and forth looking at our options, not just at the moment, but, you know, what are we going into? What is our plan here? And this mock draft is probably the one that I feel is the most sensical way for the Saints to kind of go about this draft. I do have, you know, my pet, you know, everyone has their player and and mine is Zayvon Collins. Mm -hmm. But the more that, you know, you do mock drafts, one thing that I've learned, A, is that it is don't pigeonhole yourself on one player because a, the chances are if you have to do a lot of moves to try and get that one player, the chances are in the real draft, that's not happening. But as much as you might like someone, a, your team might not value them in the same way, but it really is just dependent on, you know, what approach that that team is going to take. And everyone is kind of, you know, the saints have kind of, almost perfected a draft approach under Jeff Ireland, uh, you know, since he took over and really had control of the draft. His first year was 2017, as we know, was one of the best, if not best drafts, you know, in NFL history. And while it might not be replicated, you can see that how the Saints evaluate players and what they base it off of their, you know, their prototypes and things like that. They rarely make exceptions when they do It's you know, for a good reason, but they find that those intangibles are invaluable and you can teach things like technique, 
But when you're kind of looking at those innate skills in a player, it ends up being a different evaluation than flashy numbers-based analytics. And while the Saints normally don't draft based on need, the pandemic has put everyone in an unprecedented situation where there's no really ability to retain key talent at positions of need. And so those two big positions of need are cornerback and linebacker. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, we look at the options past Marshawn Lattimore and Janoris Jenkins was, was picked up mid season two years ago to, to fill a void on the field because not only was that zone left really vulnerable, but it was affecting Marshawn Lattimore's trajectory and his ability to grow because he couldn't really focus on his own side when you have to be worried about someone. You know, when I played soccer, you can tell the difference when the defender across from you is one that you can trust and one that you can't trust. And so when we saw him kind of get Janoris Jenkins, he got to kind of go into his own, play closer to the line of scrimmage and really become, you know, grow into this player. So I would hate to see him regress. And then the Saints rarely make midseason trades. And that Quan Alexander one was a very impactful signing that I think was very key to that late season run. And now not only have they lost Quan, but they've lost the backup in Alex Anzalone. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't rule it out to see them signing Quan to some you know vet minimum to have on there, but we don't even have that option at cornerback. And so right. when it comes down to it, and when you look at how the corners are falling, a lot of it depends on, you know, Caleb Farley. He's one of those big medical questions, mm-hmm. but if he falls, uh, if the saints are confident, I, I would be, you know, thrilled if we were able to get him. But what, what John Caden, myself had kind of come to the conclusion of is if you need a cornerback, you're going to have to trade up and get one. Yeah. And- so y'all traded up, y'all were aggressive and y'all traded up to get Greg Newsom the second at number 15. So he would be an awesome get for, for the saints, clearly yeah. a position of need. Cause if you look, like you said, at a uh, cornerback, Marshawn Lattimore, and there's really no premier player at both cornerback and at linebacker, you know, there's Demario Davis and mm-hmm. No one really. I mean, Zach Bond, we don't know what kind of role he's going to play next right. season, you know? So well, the thing with Zach Bond too, and, and I, and I think this applies to Cesar Ruiz as well, is that offseat, the, the loss of that offseason OTAs and preseason last year, especially someone like Zach Bond, who before, you know, we were talking about the prototypes and the exceptions, he was one of those exceptions because he's undersized for what they would normally take at linebacker. But I think they saw some traits in him that they could kind of unlock. And, and, you know, um, he's very good at getting to the quarterback. But those types of packages, those are what you need that offseason time to kind of develop. I also wouldn't put it past them to have kind of Zach Bond on a Hansel and Gretel type fatten him up plan that they've kind of been going through. But those two are definitely the two positions of need. And our, our mock ended up being, so I I went back and looked just to double check. Mm -hmm. Uh, We did trade for every single pick, but the last one. And I know with mocks, you're not supposed to overtrade because the idea is what's realistic for your team at the place they're picking at. But if you're a Saints fan, you have to know that the Saints do not ever have a set place that they're picking. Mm-hmm. When they don't have a first rounder, they trade up and, and, and select Eric McCoy. They had barely any picks last year and they somehow managed to, to move those all around to get, I mean, they wanted Ruiz. They didn't have to do anything to get him, but they, they trade up when they don't have much capital. And so with eight picks this year, right. there's a lot of tools at their disposal. And to me, getting two to three surefire 
starters and not just this is the best player left at cornerback. So we're going to take him. It's we would take him at 15 or 28, but we know that he's likely not going to be there at 28. So have to move up and get a corner where the corners are falling because the drop off past Newsom is Eric Stokes, Asante Samuel. They're both valid and have potential, but when you have a hole on your team that needs an immediate starter, Mm -hmm. that's where you have to be aggressive for a player like Newsom. And and I've always seen cornerback and linebacker kind of be related to each other in drafts in terms of which one starts the run. Most of the time it's cornerback, but what I've seen happening in those is that linebacker ends up falling quite a bit. And so we were able to get JOK. We did trade up back into the first round, but it's, Again, one of those things where he's still available at, at 27 and, and we were trying to be thoughtful as well with the trade destination. So we picked the Ravens because we know that they were looking to maybe now trade one of the two picks they have. Mm-hmm. So being kind of you know thoughtful with your trade partners as well as your ideas behind the trade, that's really what we were trying to do. But filling those holes of, of cornerback, linebacker, and then trading up for Ramon Ross St. Brown. He was kind of the last receiver left in our cloud. He doesn't necessarily fit the prototype, but with wide receivers in the Saints this year, I think we're going to see a different offense under either Jameis Winston or Taysom Hill. So players like Anthony Schwartz, for example, who they met with but doesn't really fit the mold, I think that's kind of a telling sign that we might be looking at a different set of receivers this year. And the Saints are notorious for being able to develop lead around talent at wide receiver. Yeah. So that's kind of the order we see things falling out and, and possibly a tackle in there because I know they love the trenches mm-hmm. and it's a deep class. Right. So let's talk more about receiver. We uh, mm-hmm. Emmanuel Sanders is no longer with the Saints. So when that happened, I was thinking, okay, this uh, they definitely need to add some receiver talent. And uh, I had Luke Johnson on the podcast a couple mm-hmm. weeks ago and he was projecting maybe uh, Rondale Moore out of Purdue, maybe in the second round, the Saints could have their eye on him. But at the same time, receiver, I agree with what you said, that receiver is not really what we see as a paramount need. I could definitely see them wanting to add more depth on the lines, offensive Mm -hmm. and defensive, after they address cornerback and linebacker. Right. Yeah, for sure. Mm -hmm. The only way I could see them going receiver in the second round is if one of those two positions, whichever one, you know, wasn't taken first, if, if the talent has just dropped off so much and the ones that are left, either a lot of people like Nick Bolton, but for the Saints, Nick Bolton he's more of a run, you know, run stopper that fits kind of with that same Demario Davis prototype where you're not really getting a, you know, a coverage linebacker to compliment like you would in someone like Zayvon Collins. So the, I could see them going receiver if based on how the draft falls, that's kind of what's left there, but that's where, and why we were so aggressive with the trades is mm-hmm. this, to me, the saints are never trading down. That is like, yeah, that hasn't that happened be, since 2007, actually. Uh, yeah. Props to Luke Johnson for that fact as well. <laughs> it hasn't happened since 2007 that the Saints have traded down in the draft. But uh, but yeah, I was I couldn't believe how many trades. that I was having trouble keeping track that y'all had in your mock drafts. Yeah, we had a first round, two in the first round. We traded early into the third and then packaged the rest for some early, you know, six and seven round picks. But, you mm-hmm. know, like I said, this, 
Saints make multiple trades in years where they have three to four picks and in years where there's not even a first rounder. Mm -hmm. So to have eight picks with a lot of them in the third, fourth round, those are actually picks that people would be interested in getting. Definitely. That's just, it's so much capital to work with. And then in a season where there are legitimate pieces where they need to, you know, fill positions of need. And it is, there's something to be said about not deviating too much from a draft approach. So, you know, they they do have a system that works, but it it would be imprudent, you know, to not consider the fact that there is an unprecedented amount of holes on the roster, not so much by the fault of the Saints. There's been years where they've mismanaged the cap, where they've signed free agency players to kind of fill holes that have then been too much to retain. But this year, kind of everyone was a little gutted by by the salary cap. So if there was a year to be aggressive, what I was saying before with that, you know, if there's we take a, they take a receiver in the second round. It's because all of the cornerback linebacker talent is gone to me. That's the point where if you see one or two players left in that group of talent that you need, that that's when you just, you, you trade up and get that player. Cause and, you've got the capital to work with. Right. Later. Mm-hmm. And, and this receiver class it is very deep. There are a lot of, I, I've seen a lot of receivers linked with the saints. And like I said, I think it's at least for me, I feel that it's hard to definitively predict, you know, what players fit the new Saints scheme because of the changing of the tide at quarterback. Wow. So much to think about. <laughs> it's it's a great point. I, ha- I just had Randy Mueller on the episode of uh, Black and Gold Rush that published this past Monday. And he said that teams have their evaluations finished by January and February. So when he was a GM, he always valued the coach's input. But the thing that he always said separated the great teams from the run of the mill teams was how they targeted players that fit their schemes. And when you mentioned the 2017 draft class, the Saints did that so well. So with that said, Maddie, I'd love for you to talk about the player that you, uh, one of the players that you really like, you mentioned him earlier, Zayvon Collins uh, at linebacker, uh, in addition to JOK. But Zayvon Collins has some rare coverage ability that uh, So you'll be watching if he falls the Saints way, potentially somebody else that the Saints fans can get excited about as well. Yeah. So, uh, and, and what I took stock in is, is when I was really looking into Zayvon Collins, I found an interview back, you know, from maybe early March where he said that he had one of his big substantial interviews with the Saints and they really went through coverage schemes and it was this really in-depth interview. And, and, and I, to my knowledge, they've, they've, you know, met with him quite a few times, but that really tipped me off. And, and he was the first player where I really, you know, delved into a more scouting brain and did an actual film study on him. And what sticks out to me the most is he is a linebacker that has the tracking abilities of a safety. Like, first of all, he's six, five, so he can just see over the line of scrimmage, like there's no problem, but you know, the, the, the weaknesses that people point to, uh, to Collins are, he has some issues diagnosing the run and, and some issues with tackling and play strength. Those are all things that can be, you know, taught. And with the Saints though, Demario Davis and Malcolm Jenkins as well are very strong against the run. But if you can get a linebacker in the modern NFL, that is a genuine asset in pass coverage, his ability to track the quarterback, disrupt passing lanes with either his body 
or his hands. He is just, he is one of those rare coverage linebackers that would be an incredible compliment to Davis and would, would really strengthen the middle of that field in a way that we hadn't really seen. And, and it wasn't even like, you know, I didn't know what the team was missing until they got Quan Alexander. And it was mm-hmm. like, wow, this is actually what a lethal linebacker tandem can look like. So yeah, if I could like have my dream pick and it still included a cornerback, then it would be, you know, Zayvon Collins. But that early trade we made up for JOK, I've seen JOK go a lot earlier than Zayvon Collins in a lot of drafts. So my hope there would be there could be a scenario where Collins is still available. And I had the Baltimore Ravens as a possible destination for him, which is why in one of my earlier mocks, I had traded with Pittsburgh for Zayvon Collins because I knew they were not you know, likely targeting him. And I was too afraid of Cleveland and Baltimore. But now that Baltimore is probably running you know, out of that equation, they're a, a possible trade partner who we did trade with for JOK, but B, it does leave the possibility of Collins being available even if they traded up for Newsom. So in an absolute perfect world, those would be my top two draft picks. But that's, you know, it's kind of asking to win the lottery. But I think this year with the weird evaluation of talent, a lot of players that would have been first round prospects that are surefire either opted out someone that was very vital to their team opted out and there was no combine. So all of these things are unstandardized. And I just think that there's a lot of chances to hit big in this draft, not so much in the top 10, but in those kind of twenties and thirties. So I see the saints being a team to take advantage of that little sweet spot and hopefully make two solid picks within that. Absolutely. If they stick to the process, stick to their board, no doubt. I think you're, you're spot on, but yeah, Zayvon Collins, Pairing oh, with pairing with Demario Davis, him more of the uh, disrupting the pass lanes with Demario Davis uh, defending the run, you know, like that could be a dream a dream tandem in the in the yeah. linebacking core with 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 the amount of four two five that the Saints play on, exactly. on defense, you know, that could really be a, a dream tandem. Yeah, when I read like on on the scheme fits for Zayvon Collins, a lot of them are, you know, trying to fit him into a 3-4 and a 4-3 and, and stuff like that. But he just seems to fit so perfectly in a 4-2-5 with the Saints. Mm-hmm. So the, the, the fit is just so great. And, and like I said, if you can get two linebackers that have very strong instincts in separate areas, yeah. it's... That, that really strengthens that middle of the field in a way that, I, you know, I haven't really seen in, in, in my lifetime except for a small blip of, of last season. Yeah. So we know who Maddie Hudak's draft crush is officially. So uh, one last uh, draft question. What is something that if it happened in the draft, it would totally surprise you? The 49ers taking Mac Jones. It's to me, it's a, if you want a Mac Jones, you could have stayed at 12. Or you could have just stayed with Jimmy Garoppolo, who is an advanced version of Mac Jones, or you could try to develop CJ Beeford. But to me, Mac Jones's ceiling is he's a non-athletic, accurate pocket passer. As we've seen the NFL start to kind of change towards this mobile quarterback, they've kind of found that the sweet spot, it's not so much, you know, the Cam Newton rush first, throw second type. It's the Russell Wilson, Patrick Mahomes, Kyler Murray kind of way that they use their feet as a tool and not as, you know, their first point of attack to operate behind offensive lines. And especially with the 49ers having issues with their offensive line and and Jimmy Garoppolo largely being impacted by that. It doesn't really make sense to me to continue. It almost seems like 
you know, you're, you're, it, it's one thing if you already have someone who's a non-athletic pocket passer, but the way the NFL is moving to draft someone that's almost kind of outdated with a hopeful ceiling of having the cognitive ability of Drew Brees, where he can read defenses pre-snap, fit it in those perfect lanes. That's mm-hmm. what you're hoping to get out of Mac Jones. So if he doesn't get there, then that's not a good pick. But yeah. you know, if you pick someone who is mobile, where that's where the direction of the NFL is headed, you can fix the accuracy. You can fix those types of things. But having that skill set, that's a lot of the reason why uh, guys get hurt behind the O-line if, if it's mm-hmm. not that great is because they can't get out of it. So mm-hmm. if you've traded up to number three and you have your pick of the quarterback litter, it has to be Trey Lance or Justin Fields for me. And with Trey Lance, it makes a lot of sense if they're going to keep Garoppolo to give him that year to help him develop. But I know everyone is is saying they're linking the 49ers to Mac Jones. I flat out refuse to believe it. And I will be live on draft night. So I will have to censor myself accordingly and <laughs> pray for my friends in the Bay Area if I know that's not what they want to do either. Wow. Yeah. So we're going to see, we could see as many as five quarterbacks taken, you know, yeah. right off the bat. It is going to be one unpredictable draft night for sure. Starting on Thursday tonight, you know, when many of y'all are, are listening. So on that note, Maddie, we're going to get into our final segment, sure. the random round, quick questions and quick answers to close out the pod. So uh, first question what is a sports venue you have not been to that you would love to visit? Hmm. So I gave an answer the last time, and now I'm almost wondering if I'm going to change my mind. Um, no, I'm going to stick with it just because, you know, Canton, Hall of Fame. Also, with my dad being, you know, Browns fan, Ohio, it's, it's always been like a joke that even though it's not in Cleveland, it's like really the Hall of Fame is in Ohio with the Browns, but mm-hmm. it is somewhere I'd like to to go. So absolutely. I would, I would love to go there too. So much history, so much, yes. So much appreciation for that. Great answer. So what is one word you would use to describe Drew Brees? It's yeah. Invaluable. Invaluable. I think the entire Houdat nation would agree with that. (laughs) How about one profession other than your own that you would most like to attempt? I have actually got to change my answer from this one. Um, and it kind of goes along the lines of the first time I said architecture, but my dream job as a child was actually to be a tombstone designer. I really like New Orleans cemeteries and mm-hmm. that was what I wanted to do. Quickly learned, I cannot draw, which also fits into the whole architecture side of things. So it's a very realistic child that wanted to design tombstones for a living. Uh, but if if there was some weird pet project that I, I could do, that would be it. A tombstone designer. Interesting. But yes, New Orleans cemeteries and so much character. Now, a food you could not live without. Hmm. Yeah, I think I'm going to change my answer on this one too. Crawfish. <laughs> Love that. First thing I had when I moved back here and we used to have it flown out to California when I was a kid and, mm. and purge them with salt in the front yard. So that that's definitely it. Right. Cause you went to Tulane. I'm sure when you were at Tulane, you had them all the time. So. Oh, and in yeah. Crawfest, which was <laughs> hilarious because about me and my only other friend that's from uh, Harvey, Louisiana knew how to peel crawfish. So we had a great time. 
while everyone else was sitting there figuring out, you know, what, what am I supposed to do with this? I love that. All right. Name a role model who impacted your life. Yeah. So, um, my, my soccer coach, uh, Adam Clark, in about sixth grade, uh, I, he had, you know, cut me from our, I don't know what the, it's not D one, but basically, you know, the D one version of, uh, you know, competitive soccer and wanted me to come down to the D three team. And that was really like a big point in my life where I point back to as something that, you know, is a big formulation of, of how my mindset is. And I wanted to be bitter at first. And I was, you know, I was like, kind of, I, I screw you. I don't want to keep playing with you, but to, to kind of put that behind me and say, you know what, I can become a leader on this new team and, and kind of move forward with that. It was just a good life lesson for me that I, I, I it's just something I point back to all the time and a, really an invaluable experience and kind of learning how to deal with defeat and, and move forward from that. So Awesome. Shout out to Coach Clark. And <laughs> if you could spend an hour with anyone, past or present, who would it be? Alex Trebek, rest in peace. Alex Trebek. I used to watch Jeopardy all the time as a kid. All the time. Mm-hmm. But yes, Alex Trebek. Great, great answer. And finally, where can listeners connect more with you online? Yes. So uh, the Saints Wire at USA Today is where I'm writing currently. Uh, and then on Tuesdays and Thursdays, uh, I do a live uh, show with uh, Deuce Windham and Ross Jackson called the Hudat Confessional. Uh, and then on Tuesday afternoons, I am on the sports hangover with Gus Cattengale on 100.3 uh, ESPN radio. And that's also where I'm going to be live on the draft Thursday and Friday as well. So, like so on a, Twitter. Of course. At, uh, yes. Yes. At Matt Hudak underscore nine four. Wonderful. Yes. We will link up all these in the show notes so you can connect with Maddie and follow all of our coverage uh, during, before, after the draft. Uh, So Maddie, thank you so much for connecting with me, being on the show. We'll, We'll definitely do this again. Yes, it's a plan. All right. Thank you so much for listening to Black and Gold Rush. Make sure to subscribe on the podcast app of your choice and leave a rating and review. Also, I'd love to connect more. Come say hey on Twitter or Instagram at RachelW504 and let me know what you thought of this episode. For show notes and more, head over to my website at rachelwjones.me. Until next time, ooh dat.